Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, you were sick of hearing about me talk only me every month. So that's why I had to get a group of friends together or uh, uh, me talking to somebody, uh, a group of people elsewhere. But now you get only half of that. And so we brought Tony back on. Uh, I've been I've been calling you the the deserter to the land of freedom. And uh, I, I describe I describe that territory as now Texas. So uh, uh, I see. Okay. So, um, so from Michigan to Texas, uh, probably less. So, so I didn't desert the land of freedom. I deserted to the land of right. freedom. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> More horses, uh, tumbleweed, <laughs> cacti. Uh, have, have you have you gotten your cowboy boots and Stetson hat yet? You know, I'm still working on that. Okay, still <laughs> you've only been there a month. You got to figure That's it out. Right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're uh, kind of picking up uh, almost right in the middle of our book uh, against opposition uh, uh, by uh, the Greg Bonson. And um, if if you haven't been with us and you're just uh, joining us, um, we've. Um, We've discussed that this book is uh, not quite a book that he's written, but it's kind of written on his behalf. This is a, a collection of uh, speeches that he gave to kind of college uh, age level uh, folks mm -hmm. and that um, it, it provides kind of a, a good basis for understanding kind of what presuppositionalism is without uh, too much of the fancy language. And so um, we, uh, we've, we've talked uh, um, up to uh, chapter five is, is what we're on now. And um, this this kind of ends. Uh, I would almost call it kind of the first half of of um, of of the book. If, yeah, if it has a total of, of eleven chapters. So yeah, we're right around the middle part. So. Right. So in uh, in previous chapters, we've considered uh, the nature of both uh, what is faith, uh, what are facts, and what is a worldview. And we talked about how those things um, are are held by all people. And so uh, again, we we t tend to think of faith as kind of religious faith, but uh, in the way that uh, it's been de uh, uh, defined uh, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, in, in going back to um, uh, Socrates and Plato and, 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 you know, the uh, people that wouldn't claim Christianity or, uh, you know, uh, Judaism or Islam as, as, uh, a faith they've, they've talked about having faith in other people and using the same, uh, Greek word, uh, pistis that, uh, that's, uh, been commonly known. And, and even up to today, when we say that we have confidence, confide, uh, with faith is, uh, when, when we talk about, uh, having confidence in someone to, do the job correctly or, or, uh, having trust in them. Uh, we, we, we talk about that in, in context of somebody's worldview that they, they have trust that they are able to rely on their senses or that they're able to know things or that things are right and wrong. Uh, but where that's, where that's held, where that's kept, uh, um, is, uh, based, uh, in, in the presuppositions. And then from there, they build out their worldview that, uh, we have to look at because we're all, we all bring presuppositions and worldview to whatever argument we're talking about politics, nature, uh, the, the, the best baseball team. And, um, and we, we have facts that we interpret it, our, our, our our worldview through. So, so um, we tend to, to kind of view those as the glasses in which we look past to see what we can see uh, when it comes to someone saying, here's a brute fact. Well, there's not really such thing as a brute fact, but it's, it's a, uh, it's uh, an element out in the world that we're interpreting. And so you come across the, uh, the, the Statue of Liberty in the dirt and it's cut in half. 
well, is it Earth or is it uh, a parallel dimension where man evolved from apes, or is it uh, you know apes evolved from man? So, so so yeah. So one one way to consider this is you know as you said, a fact is something that's kind of out there in the world, and and sometimes we use fact for the term evidence. And right. Evidence is different than facts, right? A fact. It's a fact that there is a computer sitting on my desk. But what is that evidence for? Well, it could be evidence for anything, depending on what I'm talking about, the argument I'm attempting to make, my worldview, that sort of thing. Evidence generally is something like, you know, a fact that I can use to support my particular position. Mm-hmm. And so folks are often uh, try to say they say facts when they're really talking about evidence. And evidence is really relative to the point that you're trying to make mm-hmm. now some facts are better evidence for a position than others but uh you know um just because a, a, but a fact is a fact it's just something that's out there and mm-hmm. how you use it determines whether or not it's it's evidence right and how you use it is based on your worldview how you right. see right. things and your perspective and that sort of and this doesn't always have to be only uh, uh, physical facts. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, uh, oh, we know uh, Christianity isn't true because there are hundreds of other religions out in the world. Well, uh, through my worldview of Christianity, I know that there's a reason why there are hundreds of other religions in the world. And so uh, that, that fact isn't uh, 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 one that we split up and say, oh, yep, that, that's truth for your point of view. Um, we have to make sense of all facts in the world. And uh, what we learned from Nancy Piercy's book is sometimes uh, inconsistent worldviews have facts that are out in the world that they kind of lop off and say, oh, that's not real or uh, that doesn't apply to us. And so um, the Christian worldview says that all facts are God's facts. And so uh, we have the greatest burden by saying, okay, everything that we look at, everything that we experience, we have to interpret through um, uh, the, the what we consider the most and only consistent uh, worldview out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've covered that in previous chapters, caveofthecross.com. If you go to uh, the middle of the page, uh, all the books that we've covered are there, including um, in- interviews with people and the authors we had. And so you can find Against All Opposition book cover right there, click on all of them, and you can get all the episodes uh, r- right from there if, if you're wanting to start. And so you start at the bottom and you work your way up. Uh, so, but last chapter, our focus was on developing a Christian worldview, self-consciously, biblically, under the ultimate authority of God and applying it to every area of our life. Because, again, all facts are God's facts. So uh, uh, I stub my toe and I, it hurts. Why does that happen? Oh, what well, was me? The, there is no there is no God because uh, of, of the na- natural evil that's in the world from stub toes or things like, uh, you know, war and murder and rape and, you know, those things do. So now uh, we're into chapter five and chapter five is entitled unbelievers are not neutral and Christians shouldn't be. So now we'll talk about what to do when you encounter different worldviews of unbelieving professors, fellow students, friends, family members, strangers, or the people that you work with. So pretty much everyone that you're ever going to encounter out in the world. And so as, as you mentioned, you know, we, as Bonson tells us, uh, you know, we all have a worldview, an underlying set of presuppositions about the nature of God and man, the world, and, you know, how we know what we know in epistemology, how we're supposed to live our lives, ethics, right, and so on. And by that worldview, then, we evaluate, Bonson tells us, everything else, right? <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, he says that we're going to enter into a discussion with someone who has his own worldview, 
And so with his own underlying presuppositions, his own way of evaluating facts and uh, his own ideas about how he knows what he knows and, and how he's supposed to live his life. And in such conversations, he tells us, we uh, have one worldview, ours, in conflict with another worldview, theirs, right? So now what do we do? Right, right, exactly. Uh, so the temptation when that problem arises is that uh, there's a temptation that Christians have been given uh, into for hundreds of years that uh, has an initial plausibility. It is to think, well, then everyone has to be neutral. Let's everyone put pull all aside our presuppositions. You put aside yours. I'll put aside mine. I'll put my Bible down. You put uh, nothing down as the atheist. And uh, we'll just look at things from scratch. We'll, we'll build up. It's it's the Descartian model of uh, let's empty our minds of everything except for our doubt. Uh, there's the eye that's in the center and let's build out from there. So uh, mm-hmm. we won't have any prejudices or any assumptions. We'll just be neutral. And then you say your first word and then uh, uh, it's in English and all these uh, emotions and, <laughs> and, and, and histor- historicity of language comes flooding in and oh boy, you, it, it's, it seems like it's not possible to be neutral. Well, before we talk about the encounter with the unbeliever, we must deal with this question of neutrality and can anyone truly be neutral? Right. And so, and Bonson is really upfront with this, right? He says right. there are two propositions about neutrality that a person needs to remember when the unbeliever tries to press neutrality on you, right? Because again, as he mentioned, the temptation is to say, well, we're all, you know, coming from our own uh, worldview. So we have this conflict. Why don't we just be neutral and kind of get rid of all of our worldviews and just kind of, you know, have a neutral stance? And he says, this is what we need to be uh, to remember with, when we are tempted to do this or say this or think like it. First, the unbelievers are not neutral. And second, we shouldn't be neutral, right? And so he's going to kind of pursue those ideas here uh, in the first part of this chapter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in the, uh, the heading titled, No One is Neutral, he states just that, that no one is neutral, not even the person who claims to be neutral. And that's the first point. And so uh, uh, th- th- think about it uh, when, when it comes to that statement. Okay, uh, we seem to be at odds in, in our discussion of whatever it might be. Let, let's come up with some uh, initial starting points. Let's be neutral. Well, even from that starting point, there's an underlying assumption that neutrality is a good thing to be. And so we're already bringing presuppositions and and worldview claims into it by saying it's good to be neutral or it's possible to be neutral. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So so those are two assumptions right there. It's possible and it's good. (laughs) Right. I, I, and so we're bringing those in. Yeah. I, I always think of, uh, of, of, you know, small town um, uh, uh, representations in government. And, and so you have all these rules that say, uh, you know, we believe in democracy and uh, we, we have these rules for, for how uh, speaking is to take place. And, and so uh, we need to follow these rules. Well, okay, who's draconianly putting the rules in there or who's saying, like, let, let's vote on all these things and whether or not they should. And even saying, let's vote on this 
already smuggles in, this is the best way to, to, to do things. To make or a decision. It, it has yeah. somebody who's leading that charge. There's, there's no collective, uh, you know, uh, a wrinkle in time type brain of, of just saying, uh, you know, we kind of, we are the Borg and uh, democracy is, is how we're going to go about here because that defeats the whole purpose of, of that. So, so. Uh, or you can't even, defeat the Borg. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so even at the beginning of democracy, it already fails uh, uh, by having a one ruler there. <laughs> so, um, so he goes on to say, um, imagine what it would be like to study the American colonies for an entirely neutral point of view. We want to know what it was like in colonial America. And since we are completely neutral, we don't have any idea of what's important or what's not important. Uh, you know, do we look at taxes or do we look at grain production? Uh, you know, do, do we do we care about freedom? And so we should look at the the, the documents written um, or um, do we care about monarchy? And so we, we look at um, the, the history of um, monarchism as, as it goes throughout the, 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 the world and different time points and, and how they face rebellion. So how do we know what even to look at? What where, where do we start? How do we make determinations? What causes this and what causes that? We have no notion of responsibility when we're coming from a neutral standpoint. Okay, well, this this one battle happens and this is what <clears throat> kicks it off. Well, uh, do, do we just look at things uh, in, in, in a rebellion as uh, only war and battles? Or do we say uh, the hearts and minds of the people have to be one as well until all of a sudden you're in 1778 and all of a sudden you're free and you're forming a, a government that's never been formed in this way before? Well, right. you're going to be missing a lot of points here. And so to have a, a neutral standpoint, you're not able to make these claims. In fact, um, the, the, the uh, kind of the, the newest history, this revisionist history that's that's come about um, with uh, the, the positive aspects of Amazon or um, um, uh, different uh, schools coming into light with uh, with the Internet is why didn't they teach me this in school? Well, because the this in school had one narrow point of view to try and capture, you know, even if you took out all the, the bad qualities, they're trying to trying to give you a, a big swath of of what was important. They try to hit it every, you know, every year so that you kind of remember it and you think, OK, uh, uh, there's Bunker Hill, even though Bunker Hill is actually Breed's Hill. But we're not going to go into that because everyone kind of colloquially knew it as a Bunker Hill. Uh, and, and, and so then you get to a point where you're like, oh, wait, everything I was told was wrong and I need to read more books on top of it uh, because they're coming not with a neutral point of view. Even if they really try, they're not able to get there. And so these revisionist histories have come in and, and said there might be other avenues that we haven't looked at before that might explain better or to might give you a better picture of what's even going around. And that's just that's just history. That's not even making moral claims that's just how how we looked at what happened and why in the past yeah, yeah. and so bonson's point is that choices must be made right and, and you and you can't make choices without some standard right what is important when we're looking at history what's the important things that we need to consider well you're going to have to make some choices because you know how many grains are you know you know how much grain was produced and all that you have to make choices is, is the point he's making right and in order to do that you have to have a standard when you apply that standard you're indicating that you don't have a completely open-minded approach to the subject you have you're discriminating between various things that are happening you're deciding that one thing is good or bad or more important or less important than something else right so you're you, the point here is you cannot be neutral. That's what he's trying to get at here. 
Uh, and then he backs this up uh, with scripture. He says the Bible warns us that the unbelievers cannot be neutral. They have a different mindset uh, from Christians, right? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So they have a different mindset, a different perspective, a different worldview right, than, uh, than the believer. Uh, so they're not neutral. And of course, we aren't either. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, the the person that wants to make uh, the the biggest impact of science. So he writes everything that has uh, that he experiences going forward down on paper, and then he hands it in at the end of his life and says, "There, I've made contributions to science." Well, what science? Where? For what reason? For what purpose? And what were you looking at? Uh, the 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 smell of the air when uh, your shadow uh, was directly underneath you. Uh, does that have any correlation? I don't know. I just wrote it down. So without you know, with, with being neutral, uh, you're you're not able to be uh, to have a direction uh, of 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 impact or point of view. We read this in uh, Mitch Stokes' How to Be an Atheist when he says uh, the, the scientists who put forth the theory that 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 holding on to that theory isn't isn't neutral. They're not they're not hoping to just disprove it and and it goes away. Uh, th they've invested something into them, uh, uh, you know, psychologically almost, uh, where they want to. They think this is the 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 best answer to it. They've they've observed a phenomenon and they think this is the the way to do it. And some scientists spend their entire lives to just then. Uh, throw it away after 60 years of, of studying it because um, uh, other things have come and defeated it. Or, uh, you know, you, you have, you have uh, um, uh, the, the, the structure of the atom uh, that was hotly contented in science. And, and so you had two different um, groups of people that really um, uh, fostered uh, uh, almost a war, uh, a, a civil war, a true civil war in, in uh, the, the scientific field uh, by, by um, hashing that out. And so again, not, not neutral, right? All right. All right. So by what standard? Hey, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so the Bible says that unbelievers are, are not neutral and uh, the unbeliever who professes to be neutral is fooling himself, if not outright lying. And also if we do that, we are fooling ourselves and we're outright lying too. It seems to him uh, that one thing or another is an expression of his or her neutrality, but it isn't neutral. It is a specific choice that is made to see the world in a particular way based on a set of foundational interpreting principles. In fact, uh, I, I always think of of the, the, the good alien movies are ones where aliens are alien. So I think of the movie Arrival, where they have a different mode of communication that has to be figured out. And so they, they bring in this mode of communication or a book like Michael Crichton's Sphere, where imagination is actually brought to life uh, through uh, we think maybe alien technology. And so uh, having these alien type um, foundation principles then allow for people to translate and, and bring it into to understanding of, of where they're at. And so by having this neutral claim, well, here's a, a squid alien that squirts some ink up. Uh, we, we, we're neutral, so we can't 
we can't assume that they're communicating because we want to be as neutral as possible. We can't think, oh, uh, they're a living being and uh, they might want to communicate. They're they're not uh, uh, harvesting our, our, our blood uh, to consume because their planet has died or uh, they're always stealing our water or they hate water and they come to this waterful planet, uh, which is always weird. That's very alien of them. Uh, <laughs> it, seems, seems, it seems very uh, uh, unintelligent to me. Uh, and, and so if you're neutral in, in, in the face of that, then you can't make those choices that say, oh, this might be a form of communication and we might find things out uh, uh, starting from that point and going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, his point is, you know, um, and he repeats it here. He says, never forget that, that unbelievers are not neutral. It's impossible for them to be neutral. It can't be done. And this next section, he says, Christians should not attempt to be neutral. Right. Right? You shouldn't be neutral. Uh, he uh, talks about, to us about what Jesus says in John 17. Jesus prays that we uh, be sanctified by the truth. And then Jesus says, thy word is true. So we are to be set apart. That's the idea of sanctified. God Set apart and consecrated by the word of God. We can't be neutral if we're holy people or set apart people or separate people. And what separates us and makes us different is that we follow the word of God. So we are, unbelievers are not neutral and we shouldn't attempt to be neutral either. We are set apart people by the word of God for God's purposes. Right. Exactly. So not only should you not be neutral because Jesus prayed that you would not, uh, that you would be sanctified, but it would also be immoral for you to try to be neutral. Oh, well, we're just bringing in our presuppositions right there. Morality, when it comes to lying or, or to be untruthful in, in this capacity. Well, yes, exactly. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. If you must be sanctified by the word of truth so that you don't walk in the darkness of the ignorance of the Gentiles mind, then you cannot be neutral and you can't serve two masters to, to say, I'm, I'm okay, fine. I'll put my Bible down and then say, well, I believe everything in it. What is that as, as anything other than lying? Uh, I hold this as the most important uh, form to me to, to, to bring to light uh, how I uh, am able to do science and rely on it, how I'm able to trust my senses for the most part, how I'm able to know that the world is, is codified in a, a logical form and that there's an objective morality. To set that aside and then to never pick it up, your your what what position do you have if you say anything other than that you're lying and that's not what the other side would want to interact with yeah, yeah. and so you know um he talks about neutralities smugglers right he says no one will be neutral and those who pretend to be neutral are really smuggling in some underlying philosophies that they're probably not aware of so whenever a person says, you know, whatever they say about how they know what they know, right, epistemology or what, uh, you know, he thinks about the nature of reality, metaphysics, right, is a reflection of an understanding and underlying philosophical commitment. And uh, no one, you know, gets rid of uh, their neutrality, right? Uh, when, uh, so when they're arguing with you, uh, you can't get rid of uh, breathing, right? You have to breathe when you argue. And he makes the same case 
uh, with regard to neutrality, right? Just like you have to breathe when you argue, you can't be, you have a position uh, when you're, uh, uh, you know, making these types of distinctions make, and using various things. So no one is neutral, right? And, and that's the temptation that he wants us to see. And, and then next here, uh, he's going to use that to help us as we do our, uh, you know, apologetic with the number. Right. So no one is neutral. No, not one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>